So I just expect that you would bring a Bible to, to something like this. I, I'm just going to even, I'm going to go a step further and just assume that you'd also have a notepad because leaders are learners, and so I would just assume that, you know, we make up these booklets, but to be honest, sometimes we battle whether we should make them up or not because there's places to take notes in there, but I just assume at a leadership conference, you wouldn't need us to make a notepad for you because you're already using one regularly, just saying. Just saying, okay? So hopefully get out, get out those writing apparatus and your notebooks and your journals, whatever you want to call it, or if you need to use ours that we provided for you, maybe you forgot yours, there's no condemnation, but we did notice. And you would turn in your Bible to the book of John, if you would. The book of John. Very, very familiar passage in the New Testament. Book of John chapter 6. We're going to read about the feeding of the 5,000. Many of you, if you've grown up in the church, would recognize this story from Scripture. If you're there, say, I'm there. Uh, I know I'm speaking to leaders and pastors and other communicators in the room, and so I know you guys like feedback. You appreciate it when you speak. Well, I'm no different, so you can actually draw things out of me that maybe weren't necessarily there or planned on because of your response, because God's Word always deserves a response. Amen? And so feel free, and I encourage you leaders in the room, maybe you're not the main communicator, but when you're listening to your own pastor or own leader, talk back to them as they speak. Let them know you're out there. We out here, yeah? Okay? Just saying. We out here. Michael, we out here. All right, John chapter 6. Let's go. Let's do this. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near, verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where are we going to buy enough bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already knew in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months wages, Jesus. Wouldn't buy enough bread for each of these to have a bite. Verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took up the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the, his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the promises of your word that it never returns void. And so God, I'm believing for a harvest. I'm believing for fruit because of this word that you've planted deep within my soul, within my spirit many months ago for tonight. For these leaders, you knew who would be here. There's nobody here by coincidence, nobody here by chance. You had a plan in it all. And so God, speak the very things that need to be spoken to individuals, to leaders in this room. Each of us needing something different than the person sitting beside us. And that's what's so crazy awesome about you is that you're able to do that. 
So, God, may it go forth with, with clarity, without confusion. Bless my pastor, who happens to be the pastor of this house. God, just bless him tonight, wherever he is, whatever he's doing. In Jesus' name. Oh, it's like a trickle effect. In Jesus' name. There we go. We're all in unison. We're fam. So, how, how many... I'm going to ask you to be really transparent with me tonight, and we're, we're leaders and we're family, and so we could do this. How many would, would be so transparent, authentic enough to raise their hand and say, I am a, what's he going to say, because it's going to all depend on what he says, whether I'm going to raise my hand or not. I am a hoarder. Any hoarders in the room? We've got a few hoarders, all right? The rest of you are too embarrassed to say you're a hoarder. We've got some hoarders. I, I got I to gotta be honest with you. Hoarding stresses me right out. You, you can ask my wife. She's probably shaking her head over there. I get stressed out by hoarding. I can't even watch the shows, the hoarding shows on TLC and all those various, I'm a hoarder, I'm whatever. I can't even watch them. It actually gets my blood pressure rate, it gets my heart rate going higher and higher, and I can feel my chest beating faster and faster because I get angry at the TV. Just throw it out. Like I'm yelling at the TV, why, why is it so difficult? And they're in tears and they're sobbing. You've seen the shows. They're just a mess. They've got stuff stacked out in little alleyways made throughout their house. And there's bugs and dirt and grime. And it's absolutely disgusting. I, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I, I hate hoarding so much. We'll go for a family bike ride. And if somebody has their garage door open and I see a mess in there, just clutter and it's stacked to the roof, i got to look the other way. I, I do. I got to look the other way and I actually start biking faster. Just get me away from this. This is, I want to go in there and change it. I want to just get, call a dumpster in, set it in the driveway and start chucking things. And I've been known to chuck things out prematurely. My son's shaking his head over there. I, I, I've been persecuted. Uh, no shame, but I hate hoarding so much. I hate clutter so much that I've been known to throw some things out. Like, I think it was last Christmas I just got to let you in on this. Uh, last Christmas, I threw out this, you know, my wife, she, she does an amazing job at Christmas, and she got all our kids, all their stocking, stuffing, I can't even say it. It's a tongue twister. Stocking stuffer, there it is. Stocking stuffers, and there was this item she got for all three of our kids to share. It was a Dollarama toy, and I, I hate Dollarama toys because they always break, and, and, and so you just want to toss them anyways. And so I saw this toy laying around the house, and I'm thinking, it hasn't been used. It's been like two days since Christmas. It hasn't been used. It was a snowball maker. We didn't even have snow. <laughs> it hasn't been used. So I threw it out. I can't handle it just laying around the house, just taking up space. It's got no purpose. Then you're gone. Get out of my house. And, and so a few days later, we get our first snowfall, and I get a text at work. They're like, where's the snowball maker? And I know already what I've done. <laughs> and you know that moment where you know you're going to be in deep caca, and so you're choosing, how should I respond to this? I could just, you know, fake it like, I'm not sure where it is, because I don't really know. It's in the garbage, and the, and, and the garbage man would have picked it up and taken it to some landfill, so I really don't know where it is. You know, it's not really a lie. And so I threw this thing out, and I told them that I had thrown it out, and I still get persecuted, get mocked, get ridiculed to this day. And my kids know if they want something, they need to hold on to it and hide it because dad will toss it. Because I can't stand hoarding. I just cannot stand it. But there's one item 
There's one time in my life where I was a hoarder. One item in, in, in specific where, where I was an actual hoarder, and I'm, I'm ashamed to even talk about it tonight, but it was with my Halloween candy. I, I can remember as a kid going out for Halloween and getting, and getting uh, pillowcases full of candy, and we'd come home, me and my two sisters, and we'd dump it all out on our living room floor, and our, our parents would have to go through it and make sure it's all safe, right? Got to make sure there's no needles in there or anything. Like, who gives out needles in the first place? And so they're making sure it's all safe and everything. It's all out there on the, uh, on the living room floor. And then we put it back in the pillowcase. And I would take it up to my bedroom. And I'd plaster it all over my floor again. Except this time, I would, I would separate it. I would organize it. Maybe there's a little bit of OCD here. I'm not sure. But I would organize it and group it into chocolate bars, into bags of chips, into like three or four cans of pop. Those were the really cool houses. Full-size chocolate bars over here, hard candy over here, gum over here, and and suckers over here. And once I would get it all sorted, then I would count each pile and what was in it. And I would keep a a, a total, a tally, on a pad of paper. (laughs) Some of you are like, oh my gosh. You geek out on Halloween candy, bro. Exactly. Exactly. And that's exactly why I did it. I would hoard my candy and keep a total. And if I would eat a Mars bar, I would tick off. I've eaten one Mars bar. I'm now down to 26 Mars bars. I had 27 yesterday, but I know I've eaten one. And I would do this because I wanted to ensure that either of my sisters was not going to come into my room and steal my Halloween candy. And so I would herd and hoard it. And i got to be honest with you, as, as we speak in this first session and kick off this entire conference, I've noticed that hoarding is something that has crept into our churches. We don't necessarily do it with our resources. We don't necessarily do it with our stuff. It's not a Halloween candy issue. It's a people issue. And the reason, if you peel back all the layers of hoarding, the real root of it is... The real evil behind it is pride and insecurity. The reason we we hoard people and and resources and our own time and the things that God has put inside of you as leaders is because of our own insecurities and our own pride. God placed on my heart a few months back this whole theme, Multiply. Because I believe that the kingdom of God advances further and faster if his leaders will multiply versus just addition. The kingdom of God advances further and faster if his leaders will multiply versus just adding. But we have to get over our own pride if we're going to do anything but add. And this is what so often we do in our churches. We add. And we build and we, we hoard the people around us. And the reason, listen to me, the reason that leaders build empires is because empires build egos. We build empires to build egos, to build our own egos. You watch leaders, and I've seen leaders do this before, and they build their own empire, their own kingdom. Some of them not even realizing they're doing it, and the reason is because their ego is attached to it. We stop building and advancing the kingdom because we just want to build our own kingdom. Because kingdoms get recognized, right? 
And so if we're going to multiply, which is what this conference is all about, if we're going to do that, then we've got to understand where does multiplication begin? And I want to speak to you. I want to unpack this idea, this bottom line for the next few moments, that multiplication begins with humblification. It's a big word. It's actually not even a word. I just made it up. Because I wanted to articulate to you something that you could take away from this message. Something that was portable, tweetable maybe. Something that you could actually take with you and remember a nice little tagline, a flashy little line that if you forget everything else that I say tonight, you would remember this. Multiplication begins with the humblification. It begins with God humbling you as a leader, as a person. And the truth is, you will continue to add the rest of your entire life You will just do addition after addition after addition until you let go of the pride and the need to be recognized. It's the truth. It's the truth. And as I travel in this position, doing this just over two years now, in my travels, I got to tell you, I got to be honest, there is a leadership deficit across not just eastern Ontario, not just Ontario, but across Canada. There's a leadership void, a leadership deficit. We have positions, we have churches, we have youth ministries, kids ministries, with no leaders to fill them. Talk to Kathy, she'll tell you. We have positions. I, I, I can think of churches in our own district for the first time. I was just speaking to one of our district officers the other day, telling me of this church that is in transition and been in transition for quite some time now. And he said, There's not, we don't even have a resume. Wow. Don't even have a resume. Not even a prospect. Not even a candidate who wants to take this church. And our reaction is just that. It's to be reactionary a lot of times. We just want to react to the situation. Well, let's just add a leader. Let's just go find another leader. So we either add or we subtract. Well, if we can't add, then let's close another church down and we'll combine these two churches and voila, now they have one leader. I don't think that was God's idea in Scripture. Just a hunch. But after reading this book, I'm not sure that was his idea to advance the kingdom of God. Jesus, Jesus faced an issue similar to what I'm talking about tonight. It wasn't with people. It wasn't necessarily with resources. It was a food crisis. We just talked about it. We just read it a couple minutes ago. So you know the story. Jesus was doing ministry going about his business, decides to go off to this place to get a little bit of solitude, some silence, and what happens? A crowd follows him, which was known to happen. People would follow this guy around, and so they did once again. And so Jesus has compassion on them. One of the other gospels accounts of this story in Mark says Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he begins teaching them. He begins preaching to them. And he gets going and forgets about the time And it gets late, and his disciples come to him and say, Jesus, what are we going to do? Jesus says, let's feed them. He already knows what he's going to do, okay? This was a test for them to see where their minds were at. 
He already knows what he's about to do. And so Philip, bless his heart. Philip rises up right away. He says, eight months wages, Jesus. Still wouldn't buy enough food to feed all these people. Because the Bible only records the men that were there, 5,000. Scholars believe there's probably double or even triple, upwards of 15,000 people there, if you include the children and the women. Philip says, eight months wages. What's he saying? He's caught in the addition trap. Well, if we just added resources, if we just had the right resources, we could meet the need. See, this is a short-term fix, and this is what we're constantly wrestling with as leaders. Short-term fixes to long-term issues. It's a short-term solution. Let's, if we had the resources, we could meet the need. This is, all, this is an addition mindset. If you read Mark's account, they actually say they want to ignore them. Just send them home. Subtraction. Let's just subtract and we'll fix the, we'll fix the need. Again, short-term solution to long-term issue. So finally, Jesus says, go and see. Go and see. Give me something to work with here, guys. Because we're not going to do either of those things. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to teach you something that you can use as a principle in your life for the rest of your lives. To build my kingdom. A kingdom principle. So he says, go get me something to multiply. And so Andrew goes out and he's probably going amongst the people and saying, hey, anyone got any food? All of a sudden, this young boy, this young boy raises up his, his little happy meal here, his little lunch bag. And he's got five loaves and two fish. And so the disciple takes it, Andrew takes it, and he brings it over to Jesus. This is powerful. Don't miss this. What's he doing? He's bringing what may seem insignificant, what may seem even insufficient, and he's bringing it into the presence of Jesus. Because it's in his presence where things are transformed. It isn't in his presence where things are changed, radically changed. And Jesus says this. He says, have the people sit in groups of 50. Why is that significant? I'll tell you why it's significant. Because that's good programming right there. That's just really good programming. You see, I'm not against programming. I think Jesus was even about programming. He said, have them sit in groups of 50 because it would be easier to distribute the food once it was multiplied. But many of you are sacrificing his presence just for good programming. You see, we've got great programs across our district, across Ontario, across Canada, but many at the sacrifice of his presence. Where's his presence in your ministry. Because good programming might get them there, but it won't keep them there. See, if all you got is good programming, you're no, you're no different than a soccer team, than a hockey team, than a gymnastics club, than a swim club, than a dance club. You're just a good program. And we need good programming. I'm all about good programming. I think we should be the best programmers there are. We should have excellent programming. And everything you do should matter. But if it comes at the expense of his presence, then you're just wasting your time. Because your program can't change anybody's life. But his presence can.
Is this thing on? You guys are really silent. You're either getting this or you're asleep. I'm not sure. Okay, good stuff. His presence is what's going to change the people in your ministries. It's his presence. That's the very thing that's changed your life. It's why you're here tonight. Because his presence has affected your life in such a real tangible way. And Jesus gives us a formula, a multiplication formula right here in the text. And we read right over it. We skip right over it. You see, Jesus could have just done a miracle. He could have just added the food. But he didn't because he wanted to teach his disciples something. And he not only fed them, but they had leftovers. Come on. How many like leftovers? I love leftovers. There's more flavor in leftovers than there is the first time. There's something so good about leftovers. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us a couple thousand years later as leaders here at Initiate Leadership Conference? What does this mean for us? I think it, it starts with changing the scorecard in your ministries. What does that mean? It means what are you keeping track of, leader? What are you measuring? Because whatever you measure, you will reward. And whatever you reward, you'll duplicate. You'll do it over again. And you'll keep doing it over. What are you measuring? If all you keep track of is how many show up on a Friday, on a Thursday, on a Sunday morning in your kids' ministry, then you're missing it. And listen to me, numbers matter. I'm all about numbers. Because every number represents a person, a human being, that represents a life that God is so interested, involved, and loves so much. And so numbers do matter. But if that's all you're measuring, then it's time to change the scorecard. Because that's all you'll ever go after is just another number. Let's just increase the size of our group and we're doing a great job. Well, how do you know if you're doing a great job? That's when the hoarding starts to set in. Because the numbers start to get recognized. And we can see it. And people pay attention to it. And it gets rewarded. And so we go and we try and get more people because that's what gets rewarded. That's what gets celebrated by our lead pastor. What do you keep track of? It's time to change the scorecard. And let go of this whole herding and hoarding mentality. Listen, I'm, I'm speaking to you what God has taken me through in my own life. I sat down not too long ago, and I wrote down names, people, not numbers, names, living people that in 10 years of youth ministry, my wife have had influence and been able to to shape and mold in some way, shape, or form, maybe a small way, some smaller than others, some more significant. Began to write down the names in two different ministry contexts of people that after high school ministry, after youth ministry, went on to some form of ministry training. 
might have been a YWAM, it might have been a Bible college, it might have been a master's commission, but went on to some sort of ministry training after their high school days were over. Now, I'm not, even, I'm not even talking about those that went into the secular workplace and are still affecting and bringing change to those areas, which is every bit as important. But I only calculated the ones that I knew of because I couldn't keep tabs on that. And also because I'm talking to leaders, ministry leaders. 41 names in 10 years. I don't know if that's good or bad. Some of you are probably thinking, is that good or bad? I don't even know. I'm not telling you for the reward or for the pity, whatever it might be. I'm telling you because those are the types of numbers that actually matter. What are you rewarding in your own ministry, in your own life? What are you keeping track of? 41 names. People that we reproduced ourselves in those people. What are you reproducing? What are you multiplying in others? You see, here's the crazy thing about this boy. You, you really need to get this. Here's the crazy thing. If this boy would have held on to his meal and just kept it to himself that day, when, when the disciples went walking through the crowd and said, hey, anyone got food? Anyone got anything that, that... If he would have just held on to his little, his little brown bag of lunch, guess what? At the end of the day... He would have ate. He would have been fed. And nobody probably would have knocked him for that. He brought his lunch. It's his lunch. He's got every right to do what he wants with it. Keep it to himself. Just hoard it. Just hang on to it. And he'd be left hanging on to his lunch, having eaten. But because he raised it, raised it up and said, here's, I, I don't have much, but here it is, and released it, he let go of it, and let the disciples take it into the presence of Jesus, because he raised it, because he released it, not only did he eat, come on, not only did he eat, but about 14,000 other people ate too, and there was leftovers. Because he decided to multiply, to let God multiply. He decided to give what he had over to Jesus and let him do what he wanted to do with it. And so Jesus, right here in this text, he gives us the formula. He gives us three quick things if we're going to multiply. He gives us the formula. The first is this. I, I, I'll write it down. I'll help you with your note-taking because I live to give. I, I'm here for you. And so let me help you, okay? The first one, I'll write it. And my board writing is not the best, so uh, bear with me. Inventory. He took inventory. Mark's gospel, Jesus said, go and see. You can read it yourself. You can find it in Mark. He said, go and see what's out there. Take inventory. And you might find it in the most ridiculous places. I mean, it was a boy. It wasn't a man. It wasn't a business leader. It wasn't anyone like that that rose up and gave their lunch. It was a young boy. It's time to take inventory. What's inside of you that God wants to use, God wants to multiply, that may not seem like much? It may not seem significant to you. 
Time to take inventory. What's inside of you? What potential is there? What gifting, what talent has God placed there? You might think, I don't really have anything. Man, but I can set up a mean row of chairs, yo, for real. You see, we laugh because we don't think that's significant. But man, if people don't have chairs to sit on, how are they going to be comfortable enough to hear the word of God and to receive what God has for them if the chair is not set up? And if they walk in and it's not done in an orderly way and it, and it looks like just a massive mess, they're probably going to not be able to pay attention to the message because it's not done and they think, oh, this place doesn't really matter. It doesn't, they don't really care about the things that they're doing. And so setting up a mean row of chairs actually really does matter more than you think it does. And so maybe you can't play up here and stand up here and play guitar or sing, but you can set up chairs. You could serve your pastor, your leader. Maybe you could pray. Maybe you could stand in your pastor's yard and just cover his house and his family in prayer. It may seem insignificant to you, but there's so much power in prayer, way more than you'll ever realize. And there's so much attack on leaders in ministry and their homes and their marriages. If you would just be a person that would cover your pastor, your leader in prayer, I'm telling you, that's probably the most significant thing you could ever do. Because guess what? If your pastor's blessed, you sitting under their leadership, you will be blessed. May not seem like much. Leader, pastor, let me talk to you for a second. Your main job as the main leader of your students of your kids, is this, to find the potential in them and bring it out of them. Your most famous statement, you should be known for this statement. If, you're, if all you're ever known for is this statement, I see in you the potential to do this, to lead this, to serve here, to be this one day. If that's all you're ever known for, man, that's a really good thing to be known for as a leader. I see in you the potential to do great things for the kingdom of God. I see you in you the potential to have great influence. Young leader, your first task, if you really want to see transformation in your group, is to go after the influencers in your group. They might even be influencing for, a, for a negative purposes right now, but if you can get them, if you can reel them in, Take them under your wing, mentor them, disciple them, get them on fire for Jesus. I'm telling you, you'll have no trouble getting the rest of your group. Because they're leaders. Because leadership is influence. And so if you find them and tap into them, they're your greatest resource. I see in you the potential. Listen, I, one, of the, one of the joys of, of doing this role now as district youth director, I'm able to coach my son's hockey team. And last year, we, we, had, we had just an absolutely horrible team. We were the worst team in the league. That's just what they gave me. I'm the new kid. I'm the new guy. Here, here's the new coach. We'll give him all the, those players. Got to be careful. My son's in the room. He wasn't one of those players. That's not what I'm saying, okay? We good? We're good? And so they give me, it's like the Mighty Ducks, okay? They give me all these players. And we're horrendous. And we were losing every game at the start of the year. But I saw potential in these players. 
And I started teaching some fundamentals, started teaching some philosophies, some, some hunger and humility and, and hard work, a hustle. We started winning some games halfway through the season. We, we started playing as a team. We started doing the simple things well. But there was times in the middle of the season where the, the former us would creep back into their, into their mentality. And I remember one game in particular when, when we were down a few goals, the other team had scored two or three goals and were behind by that many. And I could just see our whole team was deflated. Oh, man, maybe we're really not getting better. I could just see it. They didn't have to say it. I could see it all over their body language. Now, remember, I knew who the leaders were on my team. We, we didn't broadcast it. We didn't do captains and assistant captains or any of that. But I knew who the leaders were because they had influence. I knew who the rest of the team looked to. And so I went to these two players. One was my own son. And I put my arms around them. And I leaned in between them. I got down on their level. And I said, guys, I know we're down by three goals. But I'm telling you, you guys just look like your dog just died. And if you keep skating around like this, we will lose this game. But if you start speaking words of life and speaking positive things into the rest of your team, you can get this team ignited again because these guys look to you. And if you're going to look down and deflated like we've already lost, then we will lose. But if you can find it, I see the potential in you guys to be great leaders and you could turn this team around right here, right now. But it's up to you. I stood back up on the bench and I watched these guys begin talking, finding their voice to their teammates. Guys, we could still do this. We got this, guys. It's just a few goals. It's not over yet. Well, sure enough, we turned around and we won that game. Because leadership is influence. And if you will find the potential in the people around you, your team, they will go way beyond your expectations. Take inventory. Find out what's there. Take inventory. The second thing. We see in this text is his presence. We alluded to it already. The presence of Jesus. There's no, there's no greater thing. What happens? The boy raises his lunch, gives it over to Andrew, and Andrew brings it into the presence of Jesus where things are transformed. He brings his presence into it. It's time to bring God's presence back into our ministries. Moses cried out to God, it's the very presence of God. He wanted God to distinguish him and his people. What distinguishes you and your people, you and your ministry? Is it the amount of fun you have, which is great, it's good? Is it your worship, which is great, it's good? Is it your small groups? Or when people walk in, is it the presence of God they sense? They can't maybe put a finger on it. They can't even verbalize it. But they know there's something different about this group. And we know it's his presence. Guess what? You'll never have it publicly if you don't practice it privately. The reason he's not showing up in your public setting is because you ain't practicing in the private when nobody's looking. And if you would just learn to get alone with Jesus in the private, I'm telling you, he'll show up. In the public. Sometimes I've watched this happen. Been on retreats, been at various speaking engagements where I watched God's presence show up publicly and the leader has no idea where to go. And sometimes they even shut it down prematurely because I just, I just wonder 
if just maybe they're not used to practicing his presence in their private life. Just maybe they'd have a little more direction in the public if they've already been there in their private world. Just a thought. We need to practice his presence. Listen, God can't multiply it while it's still in your hand. That was so simple yet so profound. Some of you are holding on to things you will not release over into the presence of God. You're afraid of what he's going to do if you give it over to him, if you release it to him. I'm telling you, God is waiting to multiply it, but he can't do it while it's in your hand. God didn't multiply it while it was still in the boy's hand. He multiplied it once it touched his hand. Bring it back into his presence. Release it over to him. It may not even seem like much. And the third thing is this. Gratitude. This is something we probably just skip right over in the text. Gratitude. What does Jesus do when he gets it? Come on. That's right. He gave thanks. Jesus gave thanks. Said he took the bread from the disciples, he took the fish, raised it up to God, and he gave thanks. Now, this is huge. This is bigger than we probably realize. He gave thanks. You see, some of you are whining and complaining about what you don't have. And God's waiting to multiply what you do have, but you sit there and you whine and complain, well, I only have a $500 budget. What am I going to do with that, honestly, seriously? How are we going to make a dent in the kingdom with $500? I only have five leaders. I only have five kids in my children's ministry. What am I actually going to do? If I had a bigger group, man, we could really do some cool stuff. If I had more resources, man, we, we could really blow this thing up. And we whine and we complain about what we don't have. Well, God's waiting to do something with what we do have, but he's waiting for you to give thanks. See, the bread and the fish weren't multiplied until God gave thanks for it. But it was insignificant to most. I didn't even tell you. I didn't even begin preaching. I'll save it for a different message. But these were barley loaves, church. <laughs> these were barley loaves. If you do some study and research, you find that was poor man's bread. It wasn't even the good stuff. This was like, I don't even know what to compare it to today. You ever had homemade bread before? Like Newfie bread? My wife makes homemade bread. There's nothing like it. This was not that. It was poor man's bread. He offers it up to God. Says, thank you for this poor man's bread. God, it doesn't even seem like much. It's only five loaves and two fish. It's not even significant in comparison to the need here. But I just release it over to you. I just give you thanks for what we do have. Man, we could learn so much from this. If you just start giving some thanks for what you do have. We walk around and we curse what God has given us and gifted us with because we're, we're so busy comparing it to what other people have. And when we start comparing, it doesn't match up. It doesn't line up. Well, man, I'd have, a, I'd have 100 kids in my children's ministry, too, if I was in a church that size. Hello. Would you? Because with that attitude, you probably wouldn't. We 
We need to be thankful for the things that God has placed within us. And it may be even the insignificant things, the things that don't seem like much. Stop comparing to what others have been given and start giving thanks for what God has given you. Because multiplication won't begin until you learn how to give thanks for it. Start giving thanks. Start being a grateful person. And here's what happens. Here's the crazy thing. Listen, my daughter taught me this. Our our youngest daughter, Sophie, we were at a cottage this summer with my extended family, 17 of us, and my dad decides to lead this little sharing time, this spiritual moment. And so he he asks all the grandkids, nine grandkids, what are you thankful for? Some of you know Sophie's journey, and she's been through various health complications and lost hair at times, and God's done a real miracle in her life, but she's still allergic to all kinds of things she can't eat that her brothers and sisters can eat, and her other cousins there that we could eat, and she's constantly on the outside looking in. You know what she says? Not coerced. By anyone. She pipes up. I just want to thank God for making me different. I know with my allergies and, and losing my hair and stuff, and I, I'm not like everybody else, but I want to thank God for making me the way He did. Wow. You know, my mom texted me. She was going through something on her own. Texted me like a couple weeks later. Says, I just got to let you know what Sophie shared there in that cottage just spoke to me so much and what I'm facing. And God used her little message there to speak into my life. You see, that would have never happened if Sophie never gave thanks for something that seemed insignificant. And probably most of us would never give thanks for something we would look at as a negative. But God used that to speak to somebody else. That's when multiplication takes place. And so if you do this, here's the formula. Catch this. I hope you could see this. When you take inventory and you add his presence and you add a little bit of gratefulness, a little bit of gratitude onto that, that is when, folks, when multiplication takes place. Got to figure out how to spell it. It's going on the fly here. Multiplication happens when these three things exist. When you'll take the inventory, when you'll go and see what's there. Give me something to multiply. Add his presence to it. Give some thanks for it. And you watch him multiply. Watch him multiply. Just watch him. We've got to give up this whole herding and hoarding mentality. I remember doing this. I remember doing this for... For quite some time, first few years of ministry, I would add. I would add. I would see a need, and, and I would add. We'd have, what? We only got five leaders? Well, we need some more. Got five, so let's add two more. And now we got seven leaders. And I would add. I would add. I would add. And I would herd and hoard the things that God had placed inside of me. I would keep to myself. Well, I'll... I'll do the announcement videos. Uh, I'll set up the chairs. I'll do this. I'll lead that. Built the ministry on my own back. Just kept adding things as I saw need. Short-term solutions to long-term issues. 
And then about halfway through youth ministry, something happened. God broke me. God broke me. Worship team, you can come join me. God broke me about halfway through my years in ministry. And instead of adding, he said, you can keep, you can keep adding the rest of your time in ministry. And you'll face void after void after void, and it will fill the need for a season, but then you'll always face void. You can keep building it on your own back. You can keep being the superstar the rest of your ministry life. Or you could take inventory. You can bring my presence into it. You can give some thanks and build it on the backs of your leaders and other people and watch me multiply. You can begin multiplication, a multiplication strategy. And so I went from having five leaders... And just adding two to having five leaders and saying to these five leaders, hey, I want each of you to multiply yourself by one. Just multiply yourself by one. All five of you, multiply yourself by one. All of a sudden, after that, we've now got ten leaders. Not just seven. We didn't just add two. I just asked these people to start multiplying. Multiply yourself by one. I'm not a mathematician, so some of you are like, what? That does it. Five times two is ten. But if you ask each of these people to reproduce themselves in another, work with me. One, two, three, four, five, plus the five in the middle, silly. Now you got ten. So there. Deal with that. I hear you all laughing and snickering like, where'd this guy learn how to do math? He's our leader? Oh, man, this is bad. Ask them each. I ask them each to multiply themselves, to reproduce themselves. And now we got 10. And then if you ask these 10 to do the same, now you got 20. And if those 20 do the same and they all reproduce themselves in somebody else, now you got 40. And before you knew it, I was never having to recruit leaders. Before we knew it, I was never standing up on a platform like this and saying, hey, we need help in our youth ministry. And it's hard work. Listen to me. Sometimes it's easier just to add. Let's just add another leader. Let's just add another resource. But if you teach people to multiply, man, this, this will outlive you. This outlives me. If you will teach multiplication and begin multiplying yourself in the things that God has put inside of you, leader, high school leader, junior high leader, kids leader, if you'll begin taking inventory and bring the presence of God into it and, and offer some thankfulness for it and release it to Him, I'm telling you, He'll begin to multiply it and take it way further, way faster than you ever thought possible. It's kingdom math. Multiplication is God's idea. It's His idea. Why do this? Why do any of this? Because it's not about what you build. It's about who you build. It's about people. And if you just strip it all away, the reason you're here tonight, the reason you're in ministry, the reason you're, you're helping as a leader in some ministry, is because of the people in that ministry. 
but it's also about the people that are not yet in that ministry. And I just think if, if we're going to see a harvest across Canada, that God's not going to give it to us until we have the leaders ready and equipped to mentor and disciple and care for and love these, these people, these kids, these youth. Why would he do that? He loves them way more than we do. And so why would he release them into ministries that don't have the capability, don't have the capacity to lead them? Things rise and fall on leadership. And if you will begin to multiply yourself and other leaders, it's actually visionary leading because we're getting ready for something that maybe nobody else can see yet. It might even seem ridiculous at moments when you got more leaders that even make sense, but you just say to the rest of your team, hey, just trust me because I see where God wants to go with this. We got more leaders than we do students right now. Hey, just, we're getting ready for something here. That's called faith. From the beginning of mankind, God has laced us all with the idea of multiplication. Prove it. Genesis 1.28. God says, be fruitful and multiply. He didn't say be fruitful and add. He said be fruitful and multiply. Now some of us think immediately in reproductive terms. Well, that's what he meant. Guess what? It's in you to multiply. Some of you are sitting there maybe thinking, maybe you're overwhelmed. I don't know if I can do this. God put it inside of each of us. You know what? When he formed Adam, what did he form him out of? Dust of the earth. He could have just added, boom, Adam, be there. And Adam's there. But he didn't. He formed him out of something else. Why? Because that's how multiplication works. You got to times it by something else. He could, have, he could have just formed Eve. He, said, he sees Adam and says, it's not good for man to be alone, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a woman. But he doesn't. What does he do? He makes it out of Adam himself. Why? Because that's how multiplication works. It's in you. It's in you to multiply. It's the way the kingdom should advance. It's the way it's meant to be. He's called us all to multiply. You see, adding is singular. You take these five people on their own and add these two more people, it's singular. And now you've got seven people doing it on their own. But this, this is in community. It's the way we were created, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right from the beginning. Before we ever existed. There was a community, the Trinity. You're not meant to do it alone. And so as we close tonight, I want you to think, I, I, I wanted to give you a visual. So I got some apples here. And here's the deal for all of us as leaders in this room. Let's just... Let's pretend these are the giftings and the talents and the abilities and the things that God has placed inside of me. That's what this represents, okay? And so I could do one of two things. I could herd and hoard this apple, keep it to myself. Nope, not letting God have that. Not going to give that up. Not doing anything with this. I'm going to keep it to myself. I'm just going to keep adding 
I'll add something. Oh, I need something over there, and so I'll add that over here, but I'm keeping this to myself. I'm not letting go of this. This gets noticed. This gets recognized. We hold it out here. And one day you will go to your grave, unless Jesus comes before that. And guess what? You will be left holding on to your apple. Every single one of you. You'll be left holding on to the very thing you maybe started with. Some of you might think, well, that's a pretty good deal. Or you have this other option. Put this in here. Well, God, I take inventory. It doesn't really seem like much, but I take it. I'm going to give you thanks and bring your presence into it. Start giving it away. God, I know it doesn't seem so significant, but I'm just going to get some other people and start reproducing myself and in others. You've got to have a heads up or you're going to get hit off the head with an apple. <laughs> I'm seeing if people are awake. And you start giving them away. Somebody catch it. Come on. Leaders got to be quick on their toes. You start seeing things. You bring it into the presence of God. You say, God, I, I just give you thanks for this. I, I just, I, I want you to have that. I want you to have that. I, I want to I give some things. I want to do some things. I want to take inventory. I got this. It doesn't really seem like much. Seems like it really maybe only feed me, but, but here you go. Start reproducing it in other people. I got some more over here. Doesn't seem like much, but God, I'll give it away just like the five loaves and two fish. Seems like poor man's bread, but wake up, buddy. Doesn't seem like much, but I'll give it away. Give it away. Give it away. And at the end of your time, when you are laid to rest, just kidding. You are laid to rest. You can go to your grave holding on to an apple. Or if you decide you're going to begin to multiply. You're going to put what God has put in you and put it in others. Give it away and release it and watch him multiply your effect. If I gave you an apple, if you're holding on to an apple right now, just stand. Just stand real quick got an apple. You can go to your great grave not just with an apple. You can go to your grave with an orchard. So my question to you tonight, leader, student leader, main leader, is how do you want to live? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? What kind of legacy do you want to end with? Just an apple, holding on to an apple? Or with an orchard? God's calling you to multiply. To multiply your effect. To allow him to take what might seem insignificant to you and multiply it and take it way further, way farther, way faster than you could ever do on your own. Would you stand tonight all across this room?